Fix Somebody on the Fight Life Peace Network. Guess who's back in the studio? The good brother Chuck Knox. Of course, Pastor Toby's glad to have him back. And me and Neil are really glad to have him back. The table looks different. Y'all did some upgrades You like how I, I fixed that? Yep. I like this. Ooh, hey, guys. That. Nashville is open. We're so excited to be in Nashville October 1st through the 3rd at our first annual Fight Laugh Feast conference. Why do we have to pick a time during the COVID? It's getting the COVID's done. It's is over. It, the COVID's it, done. Somebody need to tell We're going Chicago to Nashville. that. We're going to have yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Chicago for uh, real. Sign up now. Where do you go? Fightlifefeast.com. Fightlifefeast.com. Sign up for the conference. Of course, club members. If you if you're a club member, you get a hundred dollars off on the on the conference. So email contact at fightlifefeast.com for your discount code mm. for what, you and a spouse or a special guest. What, what, what do you email? Right. Www. Contact at fightlifefeast.com. Oh, contract it. Like, yeah, no, 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 no. No. Contract. You can also email contracts to me at contact <laughs> at fightlifefeast.com. He's also. from Texas. Uh, I'm actually going to go share the show right now on Facebook. If you haven't done that, you should go and share the show. That's right. Hey, with us on the line right now, as you can see, coming in. On the Skype, we got Mr. Larry Sharp. He's a businessman who started a trucking business and then sold a successful distribution company. An executive coach, management consultant who's mentored hundreds of entrepreneurs, executives, mm. and companies in leadership and team building skills. He's a teacher and guest instructor who has taught English management and business at universities such as Yale, Columbia, and John Jay College. He's a native New Yorker, Marine Corps veteran, recent Candidate for Libertarian nomination for vice president and husband to Georgia and father of two daughters. Oh. Larry, thank you so much for joining us on Cross Politic. I love it. You make me sound better than I am. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to stop now. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> I'm done. Hey, Larry, did you baptize those two daughters when they were babies? Just wondering. Did I do what? I'm sorry. Did you baptize those two daughters when they were babies? Just wondering. <laughs> I did, of course. My family is a uh, my family is a member of the Greek Orthodox Church. My wife is from Greece. Greece. Eo. Um, huh. I was I was I was raised a Lutheran and Baptist, but um, I I follow tradition of children being the religion of the mother. So we went to the Greek Orthodox Church. I'm a member. I'm a member of the church here in Korea. Well, well, there you go. Well, have to, we'll have to, we'll have to not, back on the show talk about EO another time. Okay, yeah, hey, we'll we'll get there. Wait, so the thing that I want to know though is EO, don't be don't be that don't be like that. <laughs> like, Come at me, bro. <laughs> What's wrong with that? Hey, I don't know. I just like that. think your beard's a little short for EO though. Uh, that's why I was surprised. <laughs> A little bit. Yeah, but I got like one foot in, so that's why. Okay. Okay. So, but the thing I really got to find out is I heard, I heard that you voted for Obama. Uh, What? And now you're a libertarian. What? How? How did that happen? No, it's a great question. I was always much more of a rebel when it came to came to politics. I was raised in the, in the Bronx and in the Bronx that is a very democratic area. My mm. parents were strong Democrats. Mm. So I was never a member of the party, but growing up, growing up, politics was easy. Democrats are good because they're Democrats. Republicans are bad because they're Republicans. Yeah. Policies don't matter. People don't matter. You know where you are. Do what you're supposed to do. Be quiet. Yeah. That's how I was raised. But then when I was 17, I joined the Marine Corps. Mm. And the Marine Corps, many of you probably know, is a is the most conservative uh, of all of the services. Yeah. And when I joined the Marine Corps, most of the people who I respected, the people who my leadership were, many of them were conservative and or Republican. So I think in my mind, I kind of became much more of a Republican as as as, as but I kind of got disenfranchised with all politics and I became more of a rebel. Um, I became a guy who liked Ross Perot. 
Uh, I liked Nader. Um, I liked uh, anybody who who was, you know, the rebel. That's the person who I wanted to be, right? So I wanted to be the rebel. So by the time 2008 came around, I thought, you know what? Obama's got to be different. He looks different. He acts different. He talks a great game. This mm. has got to be the guy. So I believed him. Mm. And I voted in 2008 for Obama, thinking this is going to be the change we need. We're going to have a black president. It's going to be different. This is going to be different. Yeah. And then when I realized he wasn't like the rest, I was disenchanted. Mm-hmm. Very disenchanted. Mm. To the point where um, I was ready to walk away, walk away from politics completely. I was very disappointed and very disenchanted. And so when Gary Johnson, I heard Gary Johnson speak in 2012, he made sense to me. He, he, he wasn't like the rest. He was speaking as an entrepreneur. And I'm an entrepreneur. So that was a connection for me that I actually had. So for the first time in my life, I actually joined a party. Mm-hmm. I was never, was never a member of Democrats or Republicans. I'd gone back and forth. I considered joining Green because of Nader. I didn't know his policies, but I knew he was the rebel. Mm-hmm. So I considered actually at one point, I think it was in 2000, I considered joining the Green Party. I never did, though. So 2012, I joined the Libertarian Party. I followed Gary Johnson in 2012. I supported him again in 2016. And I've been a Libertarian ever since. So is the, is the Libertarian Party, is it viable? I mean, is it? No, I like wasting my time. <laughs> why would you ask that question <laughs> he's coming back at me well because no one i know, one, I, know. You, I, I love throwing my, my time energy money into nothing uh, you know it's what i do <laughs> no but, um of course it is the issue is it's going to take time we're having a lot of growing pains because you gotta remember something for 40 years we've just lost continually right now we're starting to have a, some local wins you're seeing that begin to happen which is why people are talking about it now there's rumblings of us actually making impact. And when that happens, people get afraid. People don't like the idea of it not being a very simple left-right paradigm. They don't like the idea of it being a, a, a paradigm that says, it isn't about whether I'm going to put the left boot on your neck or the right boot on your neck, <laughs> but I'm going to try to have no boot on your neck. Mm-hmm. Or let's decide you know, how, how hard I'm going to push. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, that's a whole different mindset. And people tend to not like that. Life is a lot easier easier when it's just black and white so you know i I grew up in texas and and there's a lot of that libertarian streak in me i would i would probably more identify as some sort of libertarian republican and and one and one of the reasons or probably the main reason why is because uh, libertarians for me do not answer the question well on abortion there's such a mixed such a mixed bag about it i agree and there's, but the, and there's also no real foundational principle in the Libertarian Party to hang my hat on regarding morality. Well, I would, uh, I would argue um, that there is for your second point, and for your first point, it's heavily cultural. And let me ch- try to cover if I could. First of all, I agree with you. I think you're right in the first part that we don't have a solid piece there because you have, you have. A, I'm going to guess this is a guesstimation. About 25%, this is a guess, of Libertarian parties probably pro-life. About that. Hmm. The vast majority, 75% or so, is openly pro-choice. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how the party is. is. Um, and the logic behind that is body autonomy. That's the right. principle behind it. That it's body autonomy. Now, you may disagree with that. I'm not, I'm not, what I'm saying now is explaining, not saying what is right or wrong. Okay. I'm just explaining. Yep. The idea is body autonomy. And that I have the right, my body, my choice... And what's in my body is in my body, and then I have a choice, and that's it. That 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 is the principle behind that. If that makes sense, sure. Done is in the principle. Mm-hmm. 
I have a problem, though. I do. And I've been very open with how I feel. I am anti-abortion, but I am not pro-life. And people don't understand that. And here's why. The government will not, cannot, and will never stop or lessen abortion. It's not what the government can do or even wants to do. The government wants to retain the abortion issue so that it can be a wedge issue so that I can just go, I'm pro-life or pro-choice, and you vote for me no matter what. It doesn't matter what my other policies are. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful wedge issue. They will never change it. Not just that. If you simply outlaw abortion, that's all you do. What you will do without changing culture is you will simply punish poor women. I don't want to punish poor women. We know that. We saw that in countries like uh, Ireland, in Italy. What it wind up doing when they had it that way was it wind up punishing poor women. I want to make abortion obsolete. I want to make it so that there's no need for it and that women choose not to have it. There are some women, and I believe the vast minority of women, who just use it like whatever and I'm just going to use it. I don't think I will ever stop those women, except maybe culturally we can. Because when that becomes unacceptable, even those women will begin to stop doing it. So this is a cultural piece I think we have to work on. It's the idea of making it easier. It's ideas like, in my state, New York, it's making surrogacy legal. It's making abortion easier. I'm sorry, not abortion, sorry. It's making adoption easier. You make adoption easier, then all of a sudden, women make different choices. You make surrogacy the norm. And look, you guys know this. There are literally thousands of families across the country who would happily take care of a woman who's pregnant and doesn't want her baby, pay her bills, and take her baby off her hands. Without anyone being forced, with no rules and regulations, they would do it. We should be enforcing this. Our laws should be changing to allow this to be the norm. We should talk about it as I do. A lot of libertarians get upset when I say I'm anti-abortion. But I talk about it. I think we should talk about it. We should be ashamed to be anti-abortion. It doesn't mean I have to say the government has to put its back, its foot on the back of, of, of poor women. That's wrong. I don't want that either. So I am stuck. It is a tough part for me. But I recognize that the current method is not working. I know there are many people in the pro-life movement who believe, well, Larry, you're wrong because we're winning. We're getting you know pro-life stuff happening. We're getting the right judges. Here's what's going to happen. And I see it in my state already in New York. What's going to happen is even if we, we, we overturn Roe v. Wade, which I don't think we should and I don't think we will, but even if we do, what will happen? States will just codify it themselves. That's what we're seeing it in New York mm-hmm. State. Mm-hmm. That's going to happen. This is not a legal – this is not a legal battle. This is a cultural battle, mm-hmm. and that's my view. I know a lot of people disagree with me. You'd be mad at me. I get it. But I want to actually lessen abortions in this country. I don't want to just pass a law and feel righteous about my stance, which is what most people actually do. They just feel righteous about their stance and make no attempt to make less abortions. I actually do. My policies when I ran for governor of New York State were all about making less abortions. I made a promise that if elected, I would make sure there will be less abortions in New York State and not by doing anything that would force women to to not have control of their own bodies. That's where I stand. Oh... Larry, yep, man. I get that all the time. I know. I knew what I was saying. You, I was going give to you, give you that. Yeah. And I said it anyway because that's how I feel. And I don't want to lie. That's how I, I feel about it. You know, I wish more people talk like you because we can have real conversations about this. Most of the time people are trying to hide and trying to fit inside a bar that, you know, we really can't have a real conversation because we don't know the truth about what they feel. I just think there's two things I was listening to you. I think you misrepresented the, the pro-life movement a little bit. Um, Tell me. Well, the pro-life movement isn't just about putting laws on people either. We know that we should, just like we shouldn't murder folks. We, 
You know, even though somebody might go out murdering, doesn't mean that we don't make a law not to murder, right? And that's exactly what abortion is. They're actually killing a human being, so we don't want to murder. But there's also another, like you said, part of the pro-life movement that is all about helping that woman, too. So we're working both sides of this as well. So not only do we want the laws to change, but we also want the heart to change as well. So I don't think it's just uh, pro-life is just um, uh, just like the left. Uh, I think we're a little different. We actually have a, a, a full plan of helping those women so we're not just saying hey we're forcing the poor women to do poor to we're forcing poor women to have abortions no i mean we're just saying you can't kill a human being so i, I think that we're a lot more filled out okay. in that aspect um, than, than i'll go back to the cultural piece i wanted to bring up here which yeah. is for, for decades that's that's wrong for centuries um many many powerful men have used women getting pregnant as a way of entrapping them as a way of keeping them down. That's a fact. That That is a cultural aspect that still sits in our culture this day. And there are many women who have felt that from their, their family, from their grandparents, from their parents. Not as much today. That isn't as common today. But that legacy still stays in, in, in the female world. I see it. I hear it. What do you mean? What do you mean by that? And, and they're right. That's a cultural legacy they still have. So it bothers them. So it's there's what do, an what do you emotional mean? reaction. I'm sorry. That what winds up happening is when you say what you say, what they hear, not what you said. I'll be clear. Not what you said. Right. I'm saying what they hear is, oh, you're anti-woman. That's a problem we have to work on. When, when, you, when, you, when you say that they use children or they use uh, having a baby to keep them down, what do you mean by that? Yeah, there was, there, there was, there's literally been decades, I'm, I'm going further, centuries of now once a woman has a child uh-huh. now she is she is in some way shape or form inferior culturally she's now she's now less than she's now secondary now we can't have her do these things well because she has a baby so the baby has to be the priority and we can't expect these you things mean from her nurturing and being a mother her. say again you mean like the nurturing aspect and being a mother no that's no Naturally, most women, statistically, I shouldn't say naturally, statistically, most women are that way. They're much, they're more nurturing statistically than men are. That's true, statistically. Some men are too, though. I don't want to take it away from men. Some men are too. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, again, a cultural issue, not an actual physical issue. That now you have a group of people who are in charge saying, I can't, I can't have that woman do great things anymore because I believe culturally that she will, she's a, she's a mother now. So now I don't want to promote see, her in a business. I, well, see, I, I see, don't want to give her this in a business. Well, see, I, I, I see that, that has been true. I see that. I see that. I think that maybe you might be reading that a little wrong. I think that we've seen the glory of motherhood and to say the highest thing that she could do is to be a mother. That's better than running a fi- Fortune 500 company. The highest thing she could do is nurture her family. I think that we've seen the importance of what a woman is and tried to say, man, we want to protect that and we want to guard that. I don't think that's been a, a way. I think you've seen us keeping it down. And that's actually been the success of our society. Yeah, but, but that's not your choice to make. That's her choice to make. Right? Uh, if, a no, woman, if, it's, if a woman wants to decide, if she chooses that, yes, this is my highest calling, this, this is what I That's her choice. But if her choice is, I would like to have children and I want to run a Fortune 500 company, that's just as valuable. Her choice is what matters. I'm not going to judge anybody. Not just, in this case, we're talking women. Sure. But I'm not going to judge anybody in deciding that what their higher calling is family or business or friendship or nonprofit or whatever. That's not my choice. If a woman decides that, good on her. Right. If she doesn't, 
also good on her. But the, the one the one thing just to point out is e- even with even if you say uh, that her inability uh, to continue her career or her job or whatever is in any way some sort of demotion, which I I don't necessarily agree with. But even if you say that, um, we shouldn't punish the baby for a man misusing a woman. So, you know, if 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 a, if a man I, I right, didn't say we should abuse abuses no, a woman and uses I her. Did, I, I didn't say we should, nor did I say she couldn't. What I said was there is a cultural aspect. Sure. Culture doesn't always make sense. In fact, often it doesn't. Sure. So culture is different than actuality. Can a woman be a Fortune 500 company CEO and a nurturing mother? Of course. But if culture is telling her that she can't do that, then if those are the people who are allowing her access, and for centuries they didn't, that is going to make her feel a certain way as she moves forward in her life and her career. She will pass it on to her daughters, and they'll be a part of that cultural uh, – that will stay. We see it in all types of, of people who have in some way, shape, or form historically been second class or less than. But to go with what Toby was saying, so then for that case, should we then not make abortion illegal? Uh, yes, because the outcome will not be good. Not not because it shouldn't, because the outcome won't be good. So then we should allow more babies to die because of the cultural setup? No, the reverse is true. The reverse is true. You said allow more babies to die and then make it legal. You're you're equating those two, and they're not. You're you're making a false equivalency. You're saying if you're, you're what you're telling me is if we make it illegal, it will go away. What what has happened consistently is the opposite. Well, yeah, well, consistently. I'm, well, I'm, we, we 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 outlaw drugs, more drugs. We outlaw war, more war. So, we outlaw terror, more terror. So don't, doesn't work. So don't outlaw murder. So they outlawed, <laughs> but we have less. But we have less murder, not because of the law. Murder has been outlawed for centuries, for millennia. Mm-hmm. We have we have less murder because our culture has become less violent. So so Larry, that's my entire point. Mm. We have less street crime because the only time we have street crime is the drug war. Why? Because we're becoming less violent. So let's so let's change the environment. So that doesn't exist anymore. That's what I'm telling you. Sure. So, so how do you change the environment without an objective standard on that? Wow, did I shut you guys down? I'm sorry about that. No, no, no. Can you hear us? Yeah. I said, how, how, do you, how do you change the environment? Because if, if uh, I'm trying to figure out what, what are you using to change the environment here? But what, what we have right now, talking about it. So is that enough? What we that- have right now, talking about it. Yes. Yeah. Talking about it, making other options easier. People respond to environments. That's right? so, what I do in business. If you create the right environment, people will respond effectively. So, Larry, right? let, it's how it works. Let, so, let, are, are you saying that if you are able to turn the heart uh, in, instead of the laws, you get the laws as the heart turns? Is that what you're trying to say? No. Yeah. Or, or you can either skip the heart, right? I mean, skip the law, or pass the law once the, the culture has 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 gone there. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I, if you force a law too fast. You will get rebellion. No, I hear that's that. That's how it works. I don't disagree and with that. That's what's happening. But what I want to what I want to maintain is that we can do both end. And I don't want to. Sure that's true. I, yeah, see, I think we can. I think that we can do both end. Um, I, I think that sometimes in in society there are ways that we need to work to, on the heart as we get there to some laws to be in place. But there's also a, t- a moment where. Laws help disciple people. It's, the Bible talks about it as a taskmaster to lead us, right? And so I think that we can look at certain like a laws teacher. As, as a teacher. It t- trains us on where we need to be going, what we need to be doing. So saying don't murder, even though people murder, it's still teaching and holding and suppressing a large part of society that if murder was open, we would just all go do it. 
I, I don't think that's true at all. I think there's no evidence of that at all. Yeah, I think that's the way that, that the sinful man is I designed. I think there's literally no evidence of that at all. Do you, Larry, do the, you think just the, as the an, more as an you example. crack down, the, the more – I'll give you an example. And I'll give you – war on drugs, yeah. war on terror. The more you make these things illegal, the more violence you create. Do you think that's true about um, uh, the like race relations post-Civil War? So, you know, we, we mandated the end of slavery and it – um, you know, we, we fought a war over it. Over half a million people died over it. Um, yep. do, do you think, would you point to that as another example and say we should not have forced the abolition of slavery? It's a, it's a great question. And if you look at it, there were, there were abolitionists years and decades before, mm-hmm. and the culture wasn't ready for it. Mm-hmm. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a, I'm an, uh, I'm a descendant of slaves. So, of course, I don't want to be enslaved. Of course, I want my, my family to be enslaved. Sure, I get sure. this completely. I'm being realistic here. We, I still deal with cultural legacy of slavery today. Right. You know, the, we, we know a man who was just killed. Right. Right. And part of that, that's not the only reason, of course. But part of that is also that same legacy. Right. That's, that's happened for a long time. I would blame hmm. his death indirectly. And I'm going to go down that road very indirectly on that. And let me explain how. So, please follow me. Yep. After slavery was ended, right? What what they wanted to have was the forty acres and a mule, and that concept obviously was a reparations piece that would take away from the 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 wealthy white slave owners, not punishing the poor whites, but punishing the wealthy slave owners who took from the slaves and then give some of that land back, so they would have an opportunity of legacy and that kind of thing. Sure. When that didn't happen. That put that put the black community in the the freed community in the South in a severely second or third class um, uh, um, world. So now, what happened next? Law, law to keep them down. Literally, why would you have to have a law to keep them down? Because if you didn't have a law to keep them down, then they actually would have integrated on their own. Because that's what people do. Because if I have a store or I have a, a, a something and people who are black happen to have money to pay for that service, I'm going to keep my store open. That's how that works. Mm-hmm. I'm going to sell to black people. I'm going to hire them. I'm going to sell to anybody, regardless of the skin color. Will some people still say, I'm not selling to black people? Some would have back then. Of course, some would have. But others wouldn't have. And they would have begun, they would have began to integrate. So that was an example of law making things worse. Law did teach in that case. I think you're right. What law taught was black people are second-class citizens unworthy of rights. That's what it taught. That's not a good teacher. That doesn't make that doesn't impress me when you come to law. Yeah. In that case, it should have been no law. Just let people be equal and don't integrate. steal. We would have had a lie. better integration. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, so now, you... now I'm, I'm almost done. Let me keep going. Go ahead. Now we go down to the '60s, right? And tell you, well, it's because we had great people like Martin Luther King or Malcolm X or something like that. That's not the reason. Don't get me wrong. They were great civil rights leaders. But there have been civil rights leaders for tens of years before that who were just as amazing, or in some cases more amazing, who had sacrificed even more. What was the difference? Television. That's what changed everything. Television. Once everyone could actually see this, and the culture said, and and let me be very forward. There were people in this country in the 60s who said, wow, I don't like black people, but God, I don't want to kill them. God, I don't want to say right. dogs on them. What, I'm, what, what are we, barbarians? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's what turned America. It was television. Mm. So when, when the culture began to change, now we were good. But here's the problem. Then we enacted the civil rights laws. Yep. Now you might go, well, that's a great answer, Larry. Law, again, does a good job. 
No, because what happened in response to civil rights laws? Uh, we agree with you on that and, one. <laughs> and war on drugs. Yeah. That was the revenge. The backlash from the civil rights law was the war on drugs, the war on poverty, and 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 and, and gun laws. That's what happened to keep the Panthers down, to keep the black people down. That's they were all afraid of that. And I'm not making this up. You can do your own homework. Nixon literally said the president of our country said, "Let's use this war on drugs." To keep the blacks and the Puerto Ricans down. Yeah. That's what he wanted to do. And it worked perfectly. And mm. if you look at any, you look at any data, the black family in America, all going up till about the 1970s, 1980s, yeah. flat and why? War on drugs. Yeah. So your laws you're telling me about, I'm telling you, hurt hurt. Well see, hurt. And, and see, Larry, I hear that and I'm saying, yeah, because that's the wrong laws. That's the wrong standard on how we deal with people. So I can say, yeah, but the wrong laws produce the wrong things. Right. And so, so like, just like, but I still want a law that says you can't steal from me. Sure. Right. I want the right laws. I want just laws. I want laws that allow for human flourishing. But I sure. also want a law that says you can't kill me. There, there exists. It's called murder, manslaughter, all those things. That's right. Just to go like with abortion. Like, or like, you know, with George. So George but just you, get. If you just get people, individual people, judges, lawyers, cops, to believe that abortion is murder without changing one law, done. Right. Uh, but, the, but, but that's already God's law. One. That's already God's law. Which was one, but OK, so here, here I want to move into George Floyd a little bit because you talked about that case already a little bit in Minneapolis. Um, uh, for, I'm intrigued. How do you view that as kind of being connected still to slavery? Sure. Um, because, as I mentioned, I went on a long road, right? Yeah, and yeah. It, is very, it is not directly connected at all. Not okay. directly at all. It's a long road. From slavery comes Jim Crow, right? That's the revenge of that. And sure. then from, from civil rights is the war on drugs. The war on drugs is what creates black people and brown people, heavily black people, being crushed by police. Hmm. And my father was in law enforcement. And my mother was a victim of the drug, of, of the drug war. My mother was a convicted felon, a drug addict. And my, and my father was a corrections officer here at Rikers Island, the most violent jail in the United States. Mm. So I see this for, for, for both sides of this. Let me be very clear about this. The average cop who goes into an academy doesn't think, I can't wait to kill black people. Doesn't, doesn't do that at all. The average cop going into an academy says, I want to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. I'm going in because I want to protect my community. That's what the average cop does. So the average cop goes into, their into that, learns what they learn, and then comes out. And now we have the war on drugs, which encourages arrests so it can validate the war and civil asset forfeiture, which is how they fund the drug war, which means taking people's stuff. Well, how can I take people's stuff? Well, I can't take it from the rich communities for two reasons. One, they don't have cash. So I can't take their stuff because they don't have cash. Number one. Number two, they vote and they buy politicians. So I can't punish them. And they also know lawyers and are lawyers. So I might get in trouble. Doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So where can I hunt? I have to hunt in poor and immigrant brown and black communities because, one, they have cash. Because if they're immigrants, they don't trust banks. If they're poor, they may not have a bank account. Mm -hmm. If they're entrepreneurs, they have cash business. If it's a drug war, lots of cash. Cash heavy. So what happens? For the next 10 years, I spend my time hunting in poor brown and black communities. What do I begin to believe? All the bad people are poor and black and brown. The system made me institutionally racist, not even knowing it, not even understanding it. That's been happening for 40 years, at least more, probably 50, happening for 50 years now. 
The system is creating a system to where good cops either walk away or become apathetic. Mm. Bad cops become monsters. Mm. And that's because of the system. And that system was enacted as uh, because, because in the long run, slavery. Now, Larry, I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with you that there could there could be a, a cultural encouragement to target certain areas. Um, yeah. So I'm not pushing back on that. Uh, but what about um, you, you? I mean, you mentioned the civil rights legislation, in the 1960s, and so forth, and and before then, I'm sure you know this data too. But before then, 70% of the families of African Americans were raised in two-parent household and a, yes. a two-parent household, right? And then after the 60s happened, it basically that statistic flipped and it became 70% yep. of kids were now being raised by a single-parent household. Yep. Uh, so what about the cultural uh, ramifications of fatherlessness in the African-American yes. community that's also maybe played a role in this? 100% played a role. 100% played a role. Yes, there's no doubt played a role, but... Why do you have so many households who don't have fathers in them? Well, we, two reasons. We incentivize it. War on poverty, yeah. war on drugs. Yeah. 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 Those two things. Yeah. And both of those are federal laws, federal mm. programs. Mm. War on poverty, war on drugs encourages the black male to leave the family or to not be able to provide. When you have one-third of the black population in the prison population, what are you talking about? Of course. Right. And then when you come out, you're stigmatized. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because now you have a felony. I know my mom had a felony. Yeah. One of the reasons why I started my trucking business, and it's a true story. I got tired of my mom feeling like a hostage. Mm. And that's how she felt. That's right. Because she always mm. lied on every single form yeah. when she got out. She always said she wasn't a felon. She lied every time. Yeah. And she was always afraid that somebody was going to find out and do a background check. Yeah. So she did whatever her boss said. She was basically a hostage whenever she had a job because she was afraid of losing her job. One. And I said, you know what? I'm changing that. So I started, bought a truck. It was me, my step-pop, and her. And we started a company. And you know who owned that that, that company? Her, 100%. Huh. She was a 100% owner. Not me, and I ran a damn thing. Yeah. I got, and I and we, I was driving the truck. I was literally a, a, a truck driver and dispatcher. And whatever we needed, I drove that truck and a van. We had two vehicles. And we ran that thing for a couple of years. I made her the 100% owner. Because if you're the owner, you can't be fired. So yeah. hostage situation. Yeah. So here, here I'm, I'm with you on this point too. I mean, I think, I think 99% of our problems are cultural, right? The, 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 yes. the solution is, is, is preaching to the culture, dealing with the culture. But here's where it's, so I, I often find myself being like, amen, libertarians on this. But then mm-hmm. when the solution, when I want to, when I want to get to the solution of it being Jesus Christ, being the gospel, changing hearts, uh, the libertarians immediately are like, no, 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 we're, we're kind of religious neutral. But, but in reality, nothing's neutral. Either, either. No, I, I don't know who's telling you that. Um, when, when I ran for governor, I literally came up with two separate programs that would allow local churches, in particular black churches, to begin to thrive again. Right? I, I don't want to force anybody to go to a black church. I think to, to say that is wrong. Sure. But... I want the black church to be part of the community. It should be. It has been literally for decades, right? Yeah. So it should be. Of course it should be part of the community. But it's got to be vibrant. The problem is several fold. And again, I'm going to go back to law. The thing you're going to find me constantly say is law is what did this. Because when you add law, you by default remove community. That's how that works. Church is community. Mm. So let's remove law while encouraging community. 
So one of, I'll give you two different things I brought up. And one of them was child care. If you go back 50 years, many churches were, were child care facilities, many of them. So if a working mom or working dad wanted to go off and work, and this goes back to our first thing, if a mom wants to be a nurturing mom but still wants to have a career, there was a time she could drop the kid off at the church, and the church elders would take the kid, and she can go off to work and come back, bear her kid up, have a loving environment. Life is good. Grandparents who retire would often spend a day at the church as caregivers, a common thing. That went away. Why? Because the government regulated child care. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So what I said, and they were regulated out of business. <laughs> so, so what I said instead was, how about we do that? Keep the government uh, standards in place if you want them. It's fine. But create a secondary thing called not a child, not child uh, care, but a child garden. That was my name for it. And I said, if I have a kid and you have a kid, and I say, hey, Pastor Toby, do me a favor. Head, take my kid to the park. You go into the park. Take my kid with you. Yeah. And you go, yeah, sure, Larry. And I say, I'll give you five bucks. You give him some ice cream. cream. Between you and I. Yeah. No problem. No license required. Nothing. So I said, replace the individual now with a nonprofit. And what I said was local church, but I also said, if you want to, American Legion. If you want to, right, that's fine too. Or if you want to, it could be a, a BFW. Any nonprofit to include a church could become a child garden. And the agreement could be between two people. It doesn't get rid of licensed child care. If you want that, you can choose licensed child care. Yeah. But if you don't, you can go to a, a church. And, and what people said was, well, then they won't do a background check. I said, it's your church. Ask them to do it. They'll do it. Ask them. Or don't send your kids there. It's up to you. (laughs) It's up to you. And that encourages community to include the religious community for those who want to jump into it. I'm not anti-religion at all. I'm pro whatever makes you happy, whatever makes you a better person, whatever encourages your community. And that will often include church. And I'm fine with that. No worries. Do that. So that was one. But I had a second one. And that was anyone in New York State, when they're paying their taxes to the state, has an option of taking 250 bucks and not giving it to the, to the state, but instead giving it to any nonprofit in the state. If you do it within your own county, you get another 250 so you get 500 What would that do? Encourage donations to churches to grow those, those, those abandoned, in some cases, local churches. It will grow them. So I'm not against it at all. I don't know who, who was talking that way. I want people to be happy in the way that makes them happy. I want them to find glory in the way that they can find glory. And very often churches involved with that. I'm fine with that. So uh, speaking of the churches, um, it, we've had some craziness with all the COVID lockdowns. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure you're a huge fan. Love it. Can't get enough. <laughs> Lock me up. Lock me up. Cuomo is your favorite. I completely approve of my of my government overlords, and I hope that they will uh, uh, give me the ability to leave and to gain uh, in some way, shape, or form, and make some money and, and provide for my family. Blink if you're in distress. Uh, yes, I do. I, I hope my overlords will allow me to. Blink if you're in distress, Larry. Blink, blink. <laughs> Let me blink some Morse code for you. Get me out of New York. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Come get me. Come get me. Yeah. Oh man. Well, yeah, uh, funny. I, I. What do you, what do you say? Well, that, well, yeah, I'm wondering how are you guys. How would you, as a libertarian, tell someone like in California or New York how how should they deal with knowing that they're supposed to be in church on Sundays and they're getting one cue from the president saying, "Hey, go to church on Sunday." You get another cue from the governor, no, and then the second circuit court comes in and is like, "Absolutely not." How, how are you, you as know, a look? The, the reality of it is. What we should have done was the Sweden model. Yep. Yep. The, the yep. Swedish model was yep. the right. That's right. You open up and you tell people, here's what it is. And this is the libertarian piece that I think 
makes sense here more than ever. And that is you own your own life. Yeah. Now, I have two people in my in my family, in my world who might be in trouble by COVID. They're both over 80. In fact, they're in their mid 80s and they both have a pre-existing condition. Those people, COVID will kill them. Mm-hmm. That's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. I get that. So I don't go visit them. What I do is I have a car in New York City and most people don't. So I will sometimes drive to them and drop things off, but I mask up and I glove up. And I would have done that whether there was a law or not because I love those people in my family and I don't want them to die. I would do that either way. But if one of them did decide they wanted to go out, that's okay too. And I'll give you the example I give in my own family. Both my parents died of cancer. My father and my mother both died of cancer. My father died. He was much younger when he passed. I was still young when he died. My mother was a bit older when she passed. When my father died, if you have anyone who's died of cancer, you know. It takes several years to pass. Yeah. It isn't It isn't five minutes you die. Right. It's a long death. Right. When my father died, he was all about life. I want quantity of life. Do whatever it takes. Give me chemo. Uh, open me up. Whatever it takes. He had a colostomy bag. He wanted to live, live, live. That was him. All good. When my mom was dying, she was like, no, I want quality of life. That's what I want. Yeah. I don't want to lay in a bed for a year and wait to die. I want to my grandkids and she literally again it's very funny this is before COVID this is yeah she died many years ago she put on a mask and took my daughter to an amusement park knowing the doctor said you might die and my mom was like then I die playing with my granddaughter I'm good with that and in both cases they're both right Mm -hmm. whatever you want for your life if you're 84 years old and you've got you know bracing conditions and you might die but you want to go off and have a steak and maybe die Good on you, your life. If you want to stay home and protect yourself and stay alive, good on you, mm-hmm. your life. Give us information, allow us to act, and if church is part of your life and what you think is wonderful and awesome and your life is part of your good life, then go to church. And if it isn't, then don't. I don't have a right to tell you that. Neither does the government. The, the government does not have a right to say you're not essential. Mm. We are all essential, all of us. We are all someone's purpose or we all someone support, or we all support somebody or something in that world. We're and all essential. Even the, not even the unborn that. babies. That's right. Even <laughs> <laughs> but we have to go back there. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you, can't, you can't say a human being is essential. How many shows are you doing? You're doing a callback. Yeah, yeah. It's a chiasm, hey, I just I just want to point out here. That you know, Larry's last last uh, summary here of why the government's not the answer. Is why the Libertarian Party is is um, not um, you know able to win elections. What? No, I because because, 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 because you don't power, believe the government. The way we measure it right. The, the way yeah. we speak. I'll talk about New York State because New York State was twice in a row rated as uh, by Cato as the least free state in the union. Ooh, right. Twice in a row. We are the we are the worst. And I was able to go from from less than fifteen thousand votes to one hundred thousand votes in one in one year. Go from zero libertarians to over 100 libertarians elected in one year. I was able to do that for a very important reason. Because I didn't just say burn it all down. And many libertarians do. What I said is, let's leave the safety net in place because I know you're afraid. But let's open up the community and encourage community to act to pick up what government's failing at. Mm -hmm. Let's not just make government more money and more everything. Mm -hmm. Let's provide a secondary option. What happens is either the government gets better, fine, or the government goes away, but let's provide an option. I keep saying this. If you remove government 
community has to be there to pick it up. Yeah. That's but a good we point. have spent yep. literally decades crushing community. Yeah, yeah. that's so right. Yeah, because unjust laws, Larry. Ready for this. <laughs> no, we're there. We're, no, I'm, we're, there, I'm there with you. I just, yeah. I just want to make the, just a little bit of a correction. Just Unjust laws create a community that doesn't flourish. Just laws promote flourishing of communities because it lets people be free, which is what I then think that you're saying. have no law since, like, the Constitution. <laughs> like hey, it. we're with you on that. I don't know. That's, that's like the last one. It's like that's the, it. Yeah, ten commandments, ten commandments, and the Constitution. We, we can do that. I'm good with that. I'm good with that. LarrySharp.com. That's S H A R P E dot com. Yes, E and the E stands for entertaining because I also have <laughs> the Sharp Way. Don't forget that cool, cool video podcast. Don't forget the short way. Look, I, I'm pumping up right here. There it is. <laughs> the short way. The short way. If you're single, get married. If you're married, have kids. And if you have kids, go baptize them until so a Sunday. Yeah. Love God yeah. with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politic, only for just laws. <laughs>